Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we casually discuss the Animorphs one book at a time. I'm Casey. And I'm Alex. And we're going to talk you through the plot of each book. But more accurately, take you on tangent trips, factoid forays, and say, well, actually, as much as possible. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month, and we'll take you along on our mission. And we promise to have you back under the two-hour time limit. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army. Okay, yeah. This illustration's real bad. This illustration is so bad. Oh my god. Marco's arm is so long. There's so many problems, though. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean... Like, seriously, the fattest tiger. The city looks okay. Yeah, like... Yeah, the city's fine. Yeah, it's just, everything else is... Oh my god, I can't get over the wolf. I can't get over I, it. Like, Rachel's clearly a sun bear that he just, like, yeah. raced out. Yeah. Oh no. Oh no. Also, since when is Axe nine feet tall? I know, I was like, why is Axe bigger than Rachel the bear? <laughs> and, like, way bigger than the gorilla, too. Yeah. By, like, a lot. Oh no. The howler's real bad, though. I can't. The Howler's the worst part, I would agree. Uh, And, like, just looks nothing like the description. Yeah. Like I said, the city looks great. Everything else is... I'm I'm upset. I wish this was just a picture of the city. (laughs) And then a disembodied tiger's face floating. Oh, no. (laughs) Because, you know, they've got to make the little cutout, right? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. But, again, like, even on the front cover, this tiger is extremely fat. Let me pull up the book real quick, because I didn't notice. I legit, I just was like, okay, it's... he's turning on tiger, whatever. But yeah, now that I'm looking at it, it's, uh, ugh. Kitty needs a diet. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. Its head is so small, and it's, oh god, look at its front paws. It's, I can't. I can't look at its front paws. I can't. They are too, it's too hurtful to me to look at his front paws. Uh, uh now I feel bad for, uh critiquing the heck out of the Horkbajer Chronicles cover. <laughs> okay, no, I think that that was warranted. And also, there, as much as we don't enjoy this cover, none of them are overly sexualized. So. That's true. That's true. There is no sexy bear. No. In fact, the God, opposite. No. <laughs> it's the opposite of everything. <laughs> and like everywhere I look, it just kind of gets slightly worse. Like you look at the wolf and you're like, okay. And then like you look at his paws and it's like, joints there's no joints actually that's the real problem nothing has joints except for marco yeah they're just like everything is just like a tube leg like yeah that wolf legit has tube legs (laughs) it's just a series of tubes just like the internet (laughs) (laughs) boy and like their faces are all slightly off like the gorilla face the mouth is slightly right of the eyes and like Axe's face is slightly up of, like, the plane of the face. It, it's just all... It's just all not great. I, I, Tobias isn't even a red tail. Yeah. Well, he wasn't in the TV show either, let's be honest. Oh, that's true. This one does advertise a TV show, so maybe oh. it was, like, a way to tie them together. Like, oh, he's a Harris Hawk in the show, oh, and for now... fuck's sake. He's a dark morph red tail with other features that aren't at all red tail eh fuck it he's not a red tail I fuck feel, it 
<laughs> I feel like we take this pendulum swing wildly from like giving David Mattingly, the illustrator of these books, a lot of credit and then giving him zero credit. Oh, did like, he do all like, of them? Yeah, I yeah, I think so. Hmm. I'm pretty sure. Hmm. But he did this one for sure. I know because I looked because I was like, oh, man, what the fuck? What <laughs> happened? What if the cover he painted was absolutely beautiful, like on the first revision, but then the somebody else wanted other revisions and then it just got worse and worse and he was finally just like, fuck it. <laughs> this is it. Scholastics were, Scholastic was a client from hell. Yeah. <laughs> These legs should look more like tubes. And he's like, I'll give him the shittiest revision I ever made. That'll show them that I know what I'm talking about. And then he sends over the shittiest revision he can. And they're like, flawless. We're putting this on the book. He's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or he was only given like two days to do the entire illustration. That's probably way more accurate. (laughs) (laughs) Like absolutely no time whatsoever. And he was just like, ah, fuck it. Ah, No one cares. They're kids. They don't know if these things have joints or not. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe he went back at this point and read the first few books where K.A. Applegate had them morphing joints backwards. Oh, yeah. He was like, wouldn't it be really funny if I fucked with her head? (laughs) She can't give approval on this anyway. (laughs) Exactly. For all she knows, they don't have any joints anymore. Ta-da. Well, welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, where we are very mean (laughs) about cover art. It's like the only thing I can talk about with any measure of expertise. I mean, like I can I can critique the way the books are written all day, but I was never trained as an like English person. I don't have a degree in literature. Like I don't yeah, I don't have any of that. But we did go to art school and we did learn how to critique things and now it's kind of at least for me kind of a compulsive nature. It's compulsive, although when they're in the room with us, we're usually much, much nicer about it. I'd like to think so. I think we are. Like, I think we use, like, a lot of gentle guiding words while still telling people truthfully, like, Mm -hmm. hey, this doesn't look good. And I think you and I both know that you (laughs) could have done a better job. Yeah. Like, hey, I get it. Art school. All right, we should talk about this book. All right, let's talk about this book. I'm really excited to hear what you thought about this book because i when you told me the other day you finished reading it um before i did like i had started it before you Mm -hmm. but i only read a few chapters and like i've been knocking it out slowly over the week and you like you finished it before me and you were like i cannot wait to talk about this and then as i remembered like each part that was coming up i was like oh yeah oh yeah yeah. (laughs) (sighs) so I'm super excited to to hear what you thought about this book in particular. <laughs> I, yeah, I I have a lot of feelings about it. I don't remember if we had mentioned like if the ghostwriting the ghostwriting started at the last book. I don't remember if you had told me that it was like several of them in a row that were ghostwritten, or if it was just like periodic ones. So I was trying to figure out the entire time if this one was ghostwritten. And Mm -hmm. basically I came to the conclusion of, I don't think it is, but if it is, like, hats off to the ghostwriter because, like, the characters are back. So you you didn't look it up? I did not. I wanted you to reveal it to me live on the podcast. (gasps) Well, here we are. Um, So I think I did tell you 
many episodes ago about this kind of weird start, uh, but I did not, I specifically didn't tell you after last episode because I didn't want to reveal to you what it was. This one was not ghostwritten. This was K.A. Applegate that wrote this. Yes, I knew it. <laughs> we did it. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, because yeah. just it, it's so different from last book. Like 5,000% just felt off. Was I shouldn't say authentic, yeah. but like, yeah. Well, the character interactions felt authentic. Mm-hmm. But um, the other thing that I think might have thrown you off is that we didn't really have a main character and two other main sides. Yeah. We had everyone pretty equally this book. Yeah. I mean, obviously Jake. Yeah. But we we had everybody else pretty equally. Yeah, I did notice that. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting, and I enjoyed it a lot. I did, too. I just love this these I just love these books so much. They're just so good. <laughs> and just throughout my notes are just, just sprinkled reactions of, I love these kids. I love this character. I love this character. I love them. I just, they're so good. Mm-hmm. And this was a really big book for Jake, it's I huge. think. huge. <laughs> like, this is such a big, important book, like, in general. Yeah. Damn. It's so good. Damn. Now I'm starting to feel guilty for, like, you know, we we were, we came down harshly in the last book, but, like... Then it's like you read this and you're like, yeah, damn right we did. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I thought about that. And and Jesus. I was thinking about this yesterday. It's like usually the I don't love the off world kind of books, the ones that take place like Mm -hmm. on other planets or in ships or wherever, like with the exception of the Horkwajir Chronicles, I think, because it's like I didn't really love Andalite Chronicles. I didn't really love like Axe's book with when they got zapped into Z space or whatever. Yeah. And, like, there were definitely parts of this book when when I, like, saw that they were going off-world, I kind of went, like, uh, okay. <laughs> but, like, holy shit. Feel very differently by the end. And, like, I think there was a few factors that contributed to that, too, because they, in this book, they go to the uh, escort, I, I assume is how it said, homeworld. But none of it is, um, like, them trying to world-build. It was almost like they were put into an arena type setting, which I think allowed the characters to move in this new space with these new creatures without having to get bogged down in some sort of, like in the Hork-Bajur, um I don't know why I'm using this. You just said this was the one you liked, but we spent a lot of time going over like how the environment was built and how it was weird and like how it like yeah. was cool, but like we don't think it was plausible. And like in Lyra, we had like the underwater cities. We spent a lot of time describing those. And in this one, it was like, this is an artificial platform built with artificial things, so everywhere they go is just kind of a little snippet of something, but nothing has to be built out, right? Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's kind of why I don't like the off-world books quite as much, because it, this is going to sound terrible, but it makes me think harder and, like, trying to visualize, like, what is trying to be described right. to me. And it's like, ugh, yeah. I just, I don't want to think. I just want to like absorb everything <laughs> that's happening. Yourself. Like, I don't want to have to think about like what this new alien race looks like, you know? Right. And like, it, it's one of those things where it's like, if you can just immediately be immersed in it, like, it's like, here's a jungle like planet. Okay, great. I can picture it. Let's move on. And that's like, that's how this book was built simply because it was like, we went to level five. It was a jungle like terrain. Got it. And then they go to level six and it's different. Like, there was no time to like sit around and really explore the space. Right. So it was easy to visualize because she just used like a shorthand and then said, okay, picture it, go. Yeah. So I liked that a lot. Me too. 
Oh, man. <laughs> so good. So, so good. Okay, let's launch into All it. All right. Let's dive in. I'm ready. So, this book opens with a prologue. Jake is having a horrible nightmare. Why did I write having a horrible the nightmare? Whatever. Yeah. He's flashback to when the Yurk is dying inside of his head, and he can't do anything about it. He sees Cassie in front of him, and just when he's finally getting control of his own body, he flashes into a robot-beast hybrid thing with a giant flaming eyeball that can see him. <laughs> I am Sauron much? <laughs> exactly. Oh, my fuck. And, and this is the, the thing that appeared briefly in book fucking six that, we've, yeah. that I completely forgot about. Right? <gasps> and I don't... I think I specifically didn't really, like, mention it beyond making some comment like, oh, this is, like, Tolkien kind of a thing, and then just moved on, mm-hmm. because I knew it was coming back in a big way, and I didn't want to, like, spoil anything. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so this is, uh, this is Kryak, who has come back, the flaming eye of Sauron, and he keeps saying to Jake, soon. Ugh. Yeah. Soon. Soon. Um, very overt. Tolkien reference here, Oh, my which, God. I mean, come on. We had Gondor Industries earlier. Like, <laughs> we all know. It's like if Star Trek and Lord of the Rings had a baby. Yes. And I'm there for I it. I am as well. <laughs> uh, so uh, Jake introduces everyone. He introduces Marco as his main man, his cousin Rachel as the war goddess, Cassie, who he says he cares about more than himself, which was adorable. Mm-hmm. Um and then Tobias, who he says he couldn't save from his own twisted fate. <laughs> Which was like, was like that's a, a real bummer. It was. Like, nice thing about this character. Nice like... thing about this character. This is the one I couldn't fucking save and now is doomed forever. Like, what the hell? That's like, really, it was one single sentence. I couldn't save him from his own fucked up fate. <laughs> and also, this is Axe, our resident alien. Oh my god. <laughs> like, Okay there, Jake. Ran off the rails a little bit there. I know. I mean, I really did. I could feel that you're carrying a lot of guilt over this still, Jake, but oh my god. (laughs) Pat it a little bit, my friend. Yeah, (laughs) jeez. Yeah, so then he like kind of briefly touches on the Yerkes about how he was a controller for a short time because that's what we just saw happen in the prologue. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we find out that... All the kids are in the auditorium of their school because there's a Lion King stage production because the Lion King was in town, I guess. Um, And for whatever reason, they're putting on a small show for the school so that everyone can go and enjoy the Lion King. I don't really see why this happened. I mean, I don't either. But was that a thing that, like, when they were first getting the, the Broadway play set up? Like, I... Didn't they do that where they did like little like snippets to show how the like, the animals moved and like show off the costumes? I have no idea. I thought that that might have been a thing, but I could be mistaken. It could be this book that convinced <laughs> me that that was a thing and then I internalized <laughs> it. <laughs> but I could have sworn that they did like a like a kind of tour where they went to different outlets and like some of them were news outlets and some of them were like talk shows and they just like showed off these gorgeous like animal costumes because they were so cool and the way they moved was so different than anything they'd done before and like it was a whole thing Hmm. i don't know we should look that up later we should or have someone else look it up for us audience because we're lazy (laughs) if we forget email us i feel like we usually forget (laughs) we do usually forget yeah and then like i'll i'll 
like listen to an old episode and be like, oh yeah. Yeah, I think at one point I said I was going to go back, listen to all our old episodes, and then answer all of the unanswered questions, and I haven't done that yet. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, we'll get there. I can't even update the Twitter account. <laughs> it's fine. No. Everything is fine. <laughs> Uh, anyway, lucky bastard kids get to see the Lion King in their school. Right, basically. and none of them like it. They're all like, "Oh, what an interruption to our day!" And it's like any excuse to like get out of class for like an hour. You ungrateful. And not fucks. only that, it's not even that. Also, it's a half day because of this, mind Jeez. you. Not they're getting out of class for an hour. It's a half day. To which everybody skips the second half and goes home early because nobody was apparently staying there. And also they're watching the fucking Lion King. Like, come on. This is great. I love the Lion King. And I always wanted to see the stage show. You kids. me too. Don't appreciate anything. You don't. We should go. We should go to New York if they still do the Lion King. Anyways. um, But uh, Marco... Was not doing that. Instead, he was wiggling his ears in time to the music because he knew that Jake could see him and would think it was so stupid that it was funny. <laughs> Way to go, Marco. <laughs> Ugh, strong open for um, that boy. Strong open for Marco. Uh, Cassie was falling asleep and Rachel was sitting next to some guy and Jake said she had a dreamy look on her face and this guy was trying to grab a hold of her hand, and he said some people like would think that it was because she was happy, but really she was just imagining which fingers she was going to break. <laughs> when suddenly, everything freezes. Nothing was moving except for the four of them. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I wonder who that could be. I do, too. <laughs> so Jake stands up, and the others follow, except Cassie, who Jake tells Rachel quietly to wake up, and Rachel just, like... Very roughly shoves her awake. (laughs) And Cassie's like, what the, what the fuck? And then she was like, kind of in awe of the scene before them where everybody was frozen, including some of the Lion King people on the stage were like frozen mid leap and like, is super cool. So cool. And then in the next moment, right? Wouldn't that be amazing? Uh Uh And then in the next moment, Tobias comes screaming in, has to bank a sharp turn and kind of like spiral down to land on the stage. And that's about when Axe appears gracefully from behind the performers. <laughs> <laughs> and there's this moment of them wondering, like, what in the actual fuck? And then the Elemist appears as a girl named Beth. Although, like, he wasn't Beth. He just, like, stepped out of her body and was also Beth. And Beth was still sitting there, but Beth was also the Elemist walking around. <laughs> so I definitely thought he was possessing, like, her body. <laughs> that would be so fucked up. I know. And then left her on stage. Wouldn't that be the worst? Yeah. And I was like, oh. "Wow, Elemis, that's really creepy and gross, and I don't like it." And then they, and then they like specified that they were just projecting an image of it, and I was like, "Okay, good." Yeah, they were they were very like serious about that because they like made it a point to say like he was not like the Yerks taking over her body. Yeah. He just like ghost like stood up out of her <laughs> as a ghost form of Beth. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but they make sure to tell us that. Um, and then he says that he is about to tell them a story and they will tell him the ending, which is the most bullshit fucking thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
Um, then the Elemis launches into talking about how his race evolved within the galaxy and how billions of years earlier than there was any life on Earth, they traveled around encouraging the growth of species in order to have a galaxy filled with life and art of multiple different peoples and so on and so forth. Until another force entered the scene, Cryak, a creature chased out of his own galaxy by an even more powerful force than the Elemist, who is determined to destroy all diversity and create only life in his image. This creature is known to Jake, and Jake is known to him. When the Yurk died in Jake's head, he for a brief moment saw the space between life and death, and in that moment, Cryak also saw him and could see the Elemist had touched him. Lord of the Rings. Which is what they say. Right? It's so Lord of the Rings. And subsequently, um, I picture the Elemist having Ian McKellen's voice. Like Ian McKellen as Gandalf. Like, that's just what I pictured the whole time. Well, they did say he turns into an old man a lot of yeah. the time, so that's our new headcanon. How we're going to picture this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's our new headcanon. The Elemist is Gandalf. Also, I, Ian McKellen's version. I like having Gandalf's voice coming out of a 12 year old girl with braces. <laughs> 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 Woo! I agree. Yay. Uh,. What, right. So um, the Elemist basically continues on that he and Cryak have been fighting for a very long time now. Um, at one point, they had fought like an open warfare battle, but their powers were so immense that they destroyed part of the software of space and time. Huh. <laughs> yes, they describe it as like software. Um, they'd killed a dozen or more species that would have evolved into sentience. And the ramifications of their open warfare was so great that they both made an agreement that they would only fight now in this weird chess game where they manipulate all of the players in their galaxy. Hooray! <laughs> Hooray! Not dick move at all, oh, Elmist. Yeah. Um, and the whole point of their weird chess game is winning and losing by consequences of very small actions. So, like... Kind of like the butterfly flaps its wings and they have to guess what's going to happen at the other end. Whatever hurricane will happen at the other end of the butterfly kind of sequence. Yeah, it was basically a lot of conjecture to talk about how the Elemist and Cryak were so smart and we couldn't even see like a part of their plans. We could never figure anything out because they are so great and wonderful and gigantic. So, (sighs) yes. Yes. (laughs) Right. Um... So the Elemist brings it back now and says that right now he and Cryak are fighting over a very concentrated area and it was over a species called the Iskort. And the implications of losing the Iskort is huge to the game on Earth, but the Elemist cannot say how huge or why because, of course, the future is never set in stone. Um, Cryak is sending his Howlers there, which is are known to the Animorphs because we know from god marco's second book that the howlers are what killed the pemelites so we know them we don't know what they look like or anything but we know of them and the battle is the elemist wants to send his seven champions to fight the seven howlers that cryak is sending and the animorphs must decide are they the seven champions or six and one extra dude who they don't know. <laughs> it's not going to be David. Let's just say this up front here. It's not going to be David. Yep. Thank God. <laughs> I know, right? Did you worry about that when you read no. that? Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like as soon as they were like saying like the six of us and one more, it was like echoes of like, no, they're not inviting <laughs> no. David back, are they? Yeah. It's not I, David. That's not even. I just kind of assume no. the chapter of his life is kind of over. He's a... 
rat. He's, he's so. a rat on an island in the middle of the ocean. Which is right. not to say it's impossible for him to come back, but oh god, please no. He's probably dead. <laughs> he's probably dead. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so anyways, after this whole big speech, the Animorphs are back in their seats, and the performance resumes, and they, I guess, just sit there and watch the rest of the fucking performance. Um, and that's when the partial period happens, and everybody skips it and goes home. Like, everybody in the school. Not like the Animorphs do. Like, every single fucking kid at this school was like, fuck the partial period. They're in middle school. They can't do that. Uh. Anyways, they do, though. They fuck, <laughs> they fuck off home. Children. <laughs> these, these rogue children. Uh, so uh, they meet up at Cassie's barn automatically, and Tobias assures them, as soon as Tobias assures them that they're alone, Marco launches into this big fucking thing about, you know, what they're going to do and who can they trust and blah, blah, blah. And Rachel's immediately like, we can't, trust the elements at all he never does what he says he's going to do and then that turns into this whole thing where jake's like oh what she's referencing is tobias not getting his own body back and instead getting his morphing powers back because rachel just can't accept that tobias would rather be a hawk than a human and like what the fuck jake uh, yeah. <laughs> coming out a little hard buddy yeah. <laughs> like uh. how do you know that yeah like he just straight up called her out and then, I don't know. Especially in Tobias's last book when, you know, he was so affected by the idea of, like, being human and having a family. And it, how it, like, destroyed him when that didn't happen. Like, don't assume he wants to be a hawk. Like, ideally, he wants to be a human who yeah. can morph into a hawk. But, like, ugh. Well, if he has family, I think that was, like, the deciding factor, right? Because, like, he doesn't want to be... He doesn't want to go back to his old life with his, like, shitty aunt Yeah, uncle. that's true. Like, I mean, it's... It, there's some struggle there, but... But, yeah. <laughs> basically, Jake was just like, no, Tobias would prefer to be a hawk, and Rachel just can't fucking get over his choice. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, you didn't have to put it so meanly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but then they just stop talking about that, and and they're like immediately launch into discussing who the seventh champion is going to be because they're they're basically all in. Even Marco's like, "Fuck this, I'm in," but fuck this. Um, and they say obviously their seventh is going to be Eric the Chi. Did you expect to see him again so soon? Um, as soon as the Elemist mentioned Howlers, I kind of like that's what I remembered them from was the the Pemolite book. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I kind of figured he was going to come back. You're, you're catching all the tricks in this book. I honestly, there were several moments of this book where I would say, like, I would respond to a line. And then mm-hmm. literally the next line was the character echoing what I had just thought. <laughs> That's awesome. Like at one point, actually, there were two points. Um, one was uh, the Elemist appeared to them as Beth and said he wanted to appear to them in a humble form. And I was like, okay, yeah, you want to appear to them in a humble form, and yet you're, like, walking through people. And then Rachel literally said, like, oh, yeah, the same thing. And then there was another point where um, they said Krayak wanted to, like, purify the world and, like, eliminate certain yeah. species. And I was like, oh, so he's basically Hitler. And then Cassie says, like, what is this guy, a Nazi? Yep. And I was like, did I write this book? <laughs> You did. Surprise! You wrote this book. It was me! 
Last book, you had flashbacks to reading it that you don't remember. This book, you actually wrote. <laughs> <laughs> Creepy. There's so many good lines. There's one coming up next. Like, here, let me speed through this next part to get to my favorite yeah. line, which is a total throwaway. But um, basically, they're discussing, you know, how Eric's going to be, you know, their seventh. And Marco insists he'll be dead weight since he can't fight. And Jake says it has to be him because the Howlers destroyed the Pemelites. So, like, obviously it has to be him. And then Axe goes, why them instead of seven trained Andalite warriors? To which Marco gets really upset. And he says with his gorilla morph, he can probably take Axe. And then Cassie just dryly says, ah, yes, that's a sensible thing to do. Why don't you two fight right now? (laughs) It was just so good. Oh, my (laughs) God. uh, So good. Um. But yeah, so then Marco then comes back with the most misogynistic line, which is, forget him and Axe, Rachel and Cassie should get into bikinis and fight. And then Rachel Kicks goes over ass. to him and, like, grabs a fistful of his hair and starts threatening him. And Marco Love you, Rachel. Out. I know, right? Ugh. She's so good. So, so good. Um, but then Cassie brings it home and she asks, but can we win? And this stops everyone dead in their tracks. They're all like record scratch like but can we win um and then cassie says like this is to save an entire race and she's not going to let that opportunity pass her by so obviously she's in and that's when jake finally starts mentioning like oh by the way i've been having a recurring nightmare about cryak and they're all like thanks for telling us jake classic jake (laughs) classic jake not revealing it and i i mean we've been in his head long enough to know why but Mm -hmm. still at least he didn't wait until, like, the middle of the book to reveal it. Right, true, true. He's getting Although better. Although he is, like, he is still conservative yeah. in what he tells them. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, Marco says he's in. As we said above, everybody else said they were in. Marco's the last one to agree that he's in, but he says he has doubts because he thinks that they're being baited and that Cryak wants them, which... Of course, it's true because he's been baiting Jake the whole time. In fact, a lot of them join in just because after Jake says he has the dreams, they get mad that Cryak is harassing Jake and they're like, fuck that. Nobody fucks with Jake. Like, Aww. screw this. Yeah. So that was like, it wasn't written as like a heartwarming moment where they all come together. It was just literally like, oh, yeah, you don't fuck with Jake. Come on, like, let's fix it. And then they like agree. Okay. <laughs> um,. And then somebody says, it's unanimous. And Jake goes, no, there's one more player before it's unanimous. And then Eric appears out of thin air. The Elemist has caught him up on everything they just talked about. And he's enraged and immediately agrees to go. God. (laughs) Yep. So they're all like, all right, now it's unanimous. And Jake goes, hey, Elemist, can we have a few days? And then like, whoop, they're popped onto the escort planet. And the Elemist is like, the game begins now. Oh, my God. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, bud. (laughs) So, yeah. um, This is where the book really fucking gets good. Like, I love this so much. So they land on the Iskort planet, and it's just this cacophony of building madness. And they just start describing the buildings. The entire place looks like it's built out of Lego and Duplo bricks with absolutely no rhyme or reason to it. And they're all different color bricks that are like just mushed together into shitty ways. And it's built like all different and wonky and like goes like up to like total like out of atmosphere basically and all the way down to the ground. And the only support structures to any of this is every once in a while when it looks like it was leaning too far, somebody came in and put like a strut off the side of the building. Dear God. It's just a fucking mess. (laughs) 
So it's great. I love it. (laughs) Um, And there are no handrails anywhere. These are all like open air platforms that are thousands and thousands of feet to the ground. And there's nothing stopping anybody from falling off. But why though? Because the escort are like so close to the ground. I don't think they fall a lot of the time. Uh, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. For well, plot, this, plot convenience purposes. For, for, for plot convenience. No, I really like this. I'm really like, aliens don't have OSHA. Fuck yeah, there's no aliens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh man. my god. And then yeah. they're immediately accosted by like a bunch of escort and they're obnoxious. Yes. It, they are so obnoxious. And I actually like... I bookmarked this spot to find and describe them. So um, I know it's a little earlier. This doesn't happen for like another few pages in the book. But how they are described is they're not the most frightening looking race we'd encounter, but they were definitely not even slightly human. They had heads like vultures thrust forward on long necks, the necks protruding from shoulders that were a sort of oval platform flat across. From the shoulders dropped two arms, one on each side, each arm jointed three times and ending in a hand made up of one very long tentacle-like finger and two smaller hooked sharp-clawed fingers. They walked in a way that made it seem like they were crawling on their knees backward. Not that they went backwards, they went forward, but they had two thick legs, maybe two and a half feet long, and then it came to what looked like knees, followed by calves that extended forward, lying flat against the ground. Those ended in feet, each with a single long prehensile toe and two smaller claws jutting from the sides of thick pads. Their midsection was bare of clothing and looked weirdly like an accordion, an accordion made of veined pink flesh. It moved and wheezed with a sort of running commentary on their thought speak. And the way they described the sound that this accordion part of their body made was it sounded like Fran Drescher. (laughs) 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 Which was great. (laughs) So... Honestly, all I pictured in my head for the escort was the Skexis from the Dark Crystal. I, I could see that. Yeah, like that's literally all I could see. Even complete with like the whining, because like the Chamberlain character is always like, mm! so like literally it was just like Skexis everywhere in my head. <laughs> I like, I didn't even bother trying to picture them like really intensely. Like I, I just kind of imagined like a weird like crushed up leg thing blah blah blah. the only part that i really like focused in on was like the flesh accordion and how gross that would be yeah and then imagining every time it like compressed that they were just going like (laughs) (laughs) like fran drescher and that was enough (laughs) it was enough for me and then imagining that like times a thousand surrounding you so good does k applegate have something against fran drescher i who doesn't have something against fran drescher (laughs) she just like watching the nanny while she was outlining this she might have i mean i specifically remember the nanny being on for four to five hours every night and like every description of them is like how shitty they are and how they all hate this race immediately Honestly, though, I I was kind of in the same boat. Like, I was like, I wonder about how this is Alex. This is how Alex felt about the Helmicrons because I'm starting to like <laughs> channel a little bit of that towards these guys. They're so annoying. Yeah, like, and I don't really hate these guys. Like, I don't really feel one way or the other about these guys. But man, I fucking hate the Helmicrons. <laughs> <laughs> 
So it could be. Ugh. But, the, but like, they're not wrong. These things are awful. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, they're, Catherine's very good at manipulating our emotions and making us <laughs> hate the characters of the escort. I agree. <laughs> And we do hate them. And also the first thing they do is push Rachel off the edge because they all like rush the everybody who just appeared and like push her and she's windmilling like about to fall backwards and Eric just kind of reaches out and grabs her. And then like, Thank you. and then Rachel just immediately starts being like, Eric, did I ever tell you that I wanted you to come on this mission and I was wrong <laughs> about anything I ever said? Oh, <laughs> she's great. Yes. And then Rachel also immediately takes control of the situation and says, everyone stand aside. I know how to deal with pushy salespeople. And she loudly declares they are all only there to look for a bathroom. <laughs> Which actually kind of works. Like it half does. of the escort left and the other half just kind of stare at them quietly. Like, what? <laughs> and, like, and then in the background, there's this moment where Cassie and Jake just look at each other and sigh loudly. Like, oh, that's our Rachel. <laughs> oh, my God. So good. It is so good. Oh, man. So, uh, but yeah, uh, after that, the regular kind of salespeople escort that, that flooded them are moving away and then a welcoming party approaches like it seems to be some sort of escort re representative that approaches them next um and they offer them a whole bunch of shit including a guide and like they're like oh well we could take a guide but we don't have any money and then they ask for some of rachel's hair <laughs> oh no <laughs> which starts another hair. argument <laughs> oh man she's really concerned about her hair in all of these books yeah yeah. Um, but, the, like, I don't even know why we focus on her hair so much. They cut off about six inches of her hair. At first, they wanted to shave her head bald, to which she said, absolutely not. <laughs> they cut off, like, six inches. And then, like, Cassie's the one that tells her it looks really good. And Rachel kind of, like, snaps at her, like, yeah, like, you would know it looks good. But then they're like, no, it really did because Eric cut it. And he was the royal hair cutter to Catherine the Great. Again. They don't mention this ever again. Eric's such a name dropper. Eric is the the ultimate name dropper. Oh my god. And like also tell me more about that. <laughs> <laughs> right. So they were given a guide in exchange for Rachel's hair. And this guide's name was Guide. And he immediately tries to barter with them for more organs or hair. And the last thing he asked for is the last foot of Axe's tail. And they were like, well, absolutely not. And then Marco goes, but if you don't, like, you know, fucking do what we want you to, then we will give you the last foot of Axe's tail. And <laughs> that's when Guide is kind of like, all right, they're going to kill me. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And at that point, even Cassie's pissed off. Even she doesn't like these guys. She's like, these are the worst fucking guys ever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, um, at that point, Jake starts getting, like, really jumpy. He feels uneasy. He thinks that they're way too exposed. So he starts snapping at Guide and says, take him to a base of operations. Um, Cassie is kind of trying to pry Eric for more information about the Howlers. Um, but Jake snaps at her, too. And she's kind of upset about it. But then, like, kind of gets over it because Jake is, like, so skeeved out about what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, the Guide leads them down some stairs and they have to pass through this, like, market bazaar. And then the guide's like, we must move quickly here. 
And they're like, oh no, we have to move quickly because we're going to be attacked by howlers. And they're like, no, the War Milker Guild likes to hang out here. And no sooner does he say that than Jake is knocked to the ground. <laughs> so what Jake thinks is a howler is pinning him down. This thing goes to headbutt him and Jake kind of like snaps his hat out of the way so it hits the ground. And then Jake like reels back and punches him in the diaphragm. And they talk about like how weird it is for Jake to actually like just punch something as himself. Yeah. Because like that's not the type of fighting they do. <laughs> yeah. So that was fun. Um, and basically Jake starts getting the upper hand with this thing, just like fighting it in his human form. And then Jake starts screaming, is this a howler? And Eric is like, no, of course not. And like, Jake looks at Eric. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. <laughs> He's so helpful. Eric's just standing there while these things are trying to beat up on his hologram, <laughs> like just with his arms crossed, like watching what's happening. <laughs> He's just like mildly intrigued. Yeah. He's just like, no, Jake, of course these aren't howlers. What are you saying? God. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. And it's, it's just the Warmaker Guild. These are just like Warmaker escorts. They're just starting <laughs> shit. They're just starting shit. Um, and then like Rachel's, of course, going grizzly bear throughout this whole thing. And she just like kicks their asses. And so um, Jake was basically like, okay, Axe, you, of course, be Andalite. Rachel, stay grizzly. And we'll just like keep going through here and you can fight off anything we run into. And they do run into like two more groups of Warmaker escorts, but like they just, they can kind of handle them as they go. And that's giving everybody a boost of confidence because they're like, oh, look at all these battles we're winning. Ha ha ha. But then Eric, his hologram goes completely pale and he goes, Jake, howler. And that's when shit gets real. (laughs) So... There's, like, this creature in front of them. It looks like a weird, like, dog claw humanoid creature on a lazy Susan torso with, like, pebbly skin that's made out of, like, still cooling lava with these crazy eyes that are, like, a robin's egg blue. But it's not big. Like, it's smaller than a Horkbizer. And Jake was like, well, this isn't the time or the place to fight this thing, but this is the only time that there's one alone and there's seven of us. So, like, we'll never have better odds than this. So they decide to try and fight this thing. (laughs) Um, Jake is going to Tiger morph at this point, as everybody else is going to their battle morphs. And as he's going, he's realizing that Eric's talking, but he's not really listening. Um, And Jake kind of tunes in right as he's saying something about, like, how the howling is the worst part and something about paralyzing and it's blah, blah, blah. And then this thing just lets loose with this crazy howl that feels like they're being hit with a ton of bricks and Jake can't tell up from down and, like, he was knocked to the ground and, like, all of them were freaking out because, like, this thing just blew out their eardrums and, like, messed with all of their senses. Uh, And when Jake finally gets his bearings again, he jumps up at the howler as it tries to fire on them. The Draken beam, because for whatever reason, they have Draken beams. (laughs) (laughs) And Axe slices off its hand, which immediately starts growing back. And there's this, like, weird short battle that the Animorphs are not winning. And they're, like, grabbing its, like, arms and its legs. Like, Cassie latches on. And this thing is not only, like, just throwing them off and, like, fucking with them. It's also, like, stabbing them with weaponry and shooting them with guns. And, like, it's not going well. And finally, Jake gets stabbed, like, right in the back of the neck and is just bleeding out everywhere. And Eric is screaming at them. He's like, Jake, demorph. And then everybody else, he's like, you know, to your left, dodge this way, dodge that way, blah, blah, blah. Um, And Jake 
thinks he's demorphing, gets screamed at again, and uh, he's, from what he's hearing, we hear that um, Cassie, Marco, and Jake are just about dead, and then Jake blacks out and sees the Eye of Cryak watching him. <laughs> so, Which is creepy. When Howlers were first, like, mentioned, I was picturing, mm-hmm. like, kind of a swarm of locusts that, like, just devour everything in their path. Instead, they're just, like, these nasty, like, assassin dudes with a bunch of weapons. And I'm like, this is weird. It's like, why? It's like, there's almost no need for them to have, like, a super-powered howl because they're just, like, really good at weapons, you know? Like, it's like this weird combination of, like, supernatural ability versus, like, I'm Batman, you know? Right. It's just a weird, like, juxtaposition. And not at all what I was picturing. But very freaky image in my head. Especially with the, the eyes. Ugh. For sure. God. For sure. I really thought one of the most interesting parts, which um, reminded me kind of back, like, in Andalite Chronicles when we talked about the creatures with wheels, is their ability to, like, move their torsos all the way around and just, like, rotate <laughs> so that there's, like, never anything that they couldn't face, right? It's like the exorcist. <laughs> And they have those, like, crazy teeth that Eric was describing. Yeah, the, the like, poison teeth. The other thing that was kind of crazy was they had the Draken guns, but they also had those, like, flatchette guns. Mm-hmm. What are they called? Flatchette. But, like, I'm imagining that's, like, or it sounds like it was, like, a bunch of little spikes that it fired, like, in this huge pattern. So, like, it was almost like a shotgun thing, but, like, with, like, an arrowhead on there like a hunting arrowhead so it would just like tear up everything in its path yeah and the like these things are so crazy overpowered but um, yeah i thought they were going to be overpowered insofar as like their actual physio- physiological you know selves i didn't expect them to just right. have like a shit ton of ammunition you know yeah and like instead they do both <laughs> yeah that's weird uh. It was super weird. And it, I feel like that's not a thing you see commonly. Like, usually it's, like, one or the other. Or, like, this would be them, but then they would be kind of dumb or something, right? They'd just mm-hmm. be, like, the the bouncers of the universe. But these things are also pretty smart. Yeah. So It's like, crack covered all this base. Oops, sorry. They have all their bases covered. <laughs> <laughs> also, this is... There's a lot of alien species in these books, that have, mm-hmm. like, an elbow or a wrist point that sprouts even more, like, limbs and claws coming off of them. Like, there's a lot of, like, forked appendages I'm yeah. noticing in the in the xenobiology of a lot of these aliens, you know? And, like, for a lot of different reasons. Like, we the Iskort have, like, the tentacle and then split into, like, a claw thing. Mm-hmm. But... Like, you know, the Horkbizur have the wrist blades and then their hand blades. But these things are more like they just have two hands, but one of them is claws and it can cover up their regular hand if they need it to. Like, yeah, there's a lot of different reasons for it. But yeah, a lot of that. Oh, and uh, the the um, guys in the last book, too, in the extreme. The, don't come to me. The f- Venber. Venbar. Yes, the Venber. The Venber had like they split off at the elbow and had like and, four hands. And I think some of Vizzer 3's like exotic alien morphs have had that as well and didn't the the guys in in the time of the dinosaurs also have some sort of forked i don't know anyway it's just a trend i'm noticing it's interesting oh the 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 crab guys in the time of the dinosaurs they had those weird little hands 
Yeah. <laughs> like the little baby hands it and then the claws. <laughs> tiny hands. Anyway, Jake's uh, Jake's dead. Jake's dead. Fluffer McKitty killed him. Up. Damn Fluffer McKitty killed Jake and Jake's... But then he wakes up. Yes. And uh, we find out that Eric helped them to crawl away from the battle with a draw because a win would be against his programming. Oh my god. So, Are you like so mad? Eric. I mean... Kind of, but it's actually not for this. Like, it's not, it's not for what I was mad at him before. But I'll get there. I'll get there, and I'll and I'll tell you about okay. how I'm mad. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, anyways, they're all alive, but barely. And Jake is thankful, and he does notice there's something weird going on with Axe because Aww. Axe is kind of away from the group, standing in a corner, and he asks, I think it's Cassie, like, "Hey, what's up with him?" And uh, Cassie said, apparently he ran away from the battle and he came back, but it isn't good enough. He's beating himself up. Oh. Yeah. Baby. I thought you would be really upset about that. I was. I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Marco, on the other hand, is just angry. He's angry at Eric. And Eric wonders out loud if they can get the Elemis to rewrite his programming. Even Cassie is being cynical. It's too bad you gave that fucking Pemolite crystal to that dog, Marco. Yeah, for real. <laughs> too bad he swam into the ocean and threw the fucking crystal 30 <laughs> yards off the beach. Fuck. Oh, my God. <sighs> Jesus Christ. Anyways, um, yeah, even Cassie is is kind of being cynical. But Rachel and Tobias save the day with this one-two punch of Rachel refusing to admit that they still couldn't beat a howler. She's still like, suck on this, motherfucker. (laughs) And then Tobias is the one that, like, after she says that, is like, okay, like, they're really strong. They have all of these advantages. But, like, how smart are they? We can probably outthink them. And Eric is like, no, dude, they're pretty smart. And he's like, well, Eric puts it like, when humans were still, like, fucking with the wheel and thinking that was a good idea the (laughs) had space flight and tobias just starts saying like yeah but what if we think really fast in a short amount of time and howlers take a really long time to figure shit out Mm -hmm. and they're like well that's kind of a shitty hope but it's the only hope we have so we'll roll with it (laughs) um jake asks eric to tell them everything he knows about the howlers at that point so they can come up with a plan and Eric is like, okay, I can tell you what I know, but all I know is the the perspective of the victims. And then Guide's like, oh, hey, I can buy you the Howler perspective. We buy memories. They sold us all their memories. They're worth a lot of money. Let me, like, you know, buy that for you. And uh, after a few moments of, like, debating how these memories work, and he says they don't take it and, like, erase it in your brain. They just make a copy of it. Um, they agree to sell their perspectives of the war guild battle in order to pay for the memories of the howlers that they want to watch to try and get an advantage over the howlers. Yeah, this was a little bit of like a weird round table negotiation. (laughs) But yeah. Uh, And then Jake is saying to Axe, like, what are the risks of us giving our memories? Can the Yerk see it? And Axe, like, kind of just is depressed in the corner. (laughs) And so... Jake gets mad at him, not mad at him, but like, you know, he gets like intense and like yells like, hey, tell us, tell us what are the risks? And like Axe just kind of dejectedly looks at a star chart and says they're (laughs) like, you know, they'd have to take over Earth and the Andalite homeworld before they got to this planet. And so they were like, okay, we'll sell you our memories. And they're like, great, 
we have a deal. So Guide logs into whatever this fucking weird-ass memory system is and buys all of the memories of the Howlers and downloads it to Eric. (laughs) (laughs) I like... (laughs) He's like, okay, bring your, like, machine over here. And and Rachel's like, he has a name. And I'm like, thank you. (laughs) Rachel did get very upset about that. I love Rachel in this book, like, so fucking much. She was good. His name is Eric. (laughs) With two E's. Uh, yeah, I liked that a lot. And then the guide says something like, you can call him the king of all that is guild for all I care. <laughs> like, I'm going to be rich, bitches. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to get all the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, then it gets really depressing because they download all the memories to Eric uh, and he says that the Howler memories do include what happened to the Pemelites. Mm. And he's kind of getting really depressed over it and Cassie just assures him it's okay and says like, hey, only show us what you can. Like, it's okay. Don't do anything that like, you know, will hurt you kind of thing. And he was like, okay. So instead he shows them the Gimbal's children, which is... A race of giant blue pebbly Gumby-like creatures that live in a rainforest. And these things are literally like, they move kind of like Gumby, where they're like ambling around on these like giant, like weird shaped bodies. And they realize after watching these things like amble across the rainforest that they're seeing everything from the Howler perspective. The... The giant Gumby thing, the Gimbal's children, it sees the Howlers. It, like, reaches towards them with their Gumby bodies, all, like, happy to see them, like, happy toddlers. Starts, like, ambling towards them, like, I imagine, like, a toddler being like, I want to pet the dog. And then the Howlers just rush in and slaughter them all. God. Yeah. Yikes. It's really bad. It's very Um, bad. It's super bad. And... They're saying, like, of every attack that the Howlers remember, they've always won. They have never lost. Um, And I think this is the point where they talk a little more about their memories. Like, the Howlers have an inherent memory, so every Howler kind of can remember from the collective group what happened and all throughout their history. So Howlers that came before them up until now and all of the Howlers in their group, they all share a memory. So they all remember these hunts and the slaughters and all of that sort of stuff. We, Wait, yeah, super cool. Um, and then Cassie is watching them just annihilate these fucking things. And she's like, I, how did these things evolve? Like, and like everything evolves for a reason. So how did this come to be? And that's when they're like, okay, but they didn't evolve. They were created by Kryak. Yay. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So, um, after this, they're like, well, let's just go to bed. Fuck this noise. So, they try to sleep in their base room, whatever guide found them. And they keep a watch, but it's kind of half-hearted because they know, like, if the Howlers come to them in the middle of the night, they're probably just all gonna die. Um, eventually Cassie speaks up and she was asking Jake, like, what, what do you think the Howler's mind is like? And Jake defaults to saying, like, they're evil, they're angry, they're awful, blah, blah, blah. And Cassie's like, mm, I don't know. She's like, we've been in mindless creatures, so we know, like, what mindless creatures are like. But they have some intelligence, so it can't all be, like, killing and destruction. They have to have, like, thoughts and, and feelings and blah, blah, blah. 
Um, and this evolved into a conversation which was very much like Quirk Bajor Chronicles where they're like, no race or people is any one thing all the time. There's mm-hmm. always diversity and there's always exceptions and blah, blah, blah. So <laughs> that was kind of an important point. But of course, it's interrupted by the metal door being practically removed from the doorway forcibly and the howlers starting to break it in with their dragon beams. Um, Jake is immediately panicked in a way that we don't often see, but, like, the descriptions in this book were, like, just spot on for, like, what pure panic is like. Yeah. He, he was literally, like, my heart just went into my throat and I froze and, like, just freaked out, couldn't control my body for a minute. <laughs> and made moans of horror. Like, they were all so scared, they just started making, like, guttural oh, moaning no. noises. Oh, no. I know. Babies. I know. Um, so Jake screams morph. Rachel starts going grizzly. And Jake goes, no, no, no. Go to fly. Go to fly. <laughs> um, X does nothing in this moment. He does not go to fly. He starts rushing towards the door. Um, but their plan is not to fight the seven howlers, but to escape. The door is then just about completely obliterated. But Eric runs up and, like, slides his hands into the steel door like they said like somebody grabbing into bread (laughs) and just keeps holding the door in position hold the door (laughs) yeah and i think it was at this point that eric dropped his hologram and the howlers are just delighted that there's a chi here for them to try and kill (laughs) oh my god yeah um Meanwhile, Axe is trying to jump into battle behind Eric, and Jake keeps ordering him to go to fly, and Axe is like, I cannot. I ran from battle before. I will not run again. I have to prove myself. No. I know. No. And this is when Jake yells that Axe calls him prince, and he must obey his orders. So morph now. Which was interesting to see that. (laughs) Like, it was a weird power trip that was necessary but like if we had have seen it from any other perspective but jake's it would have been i think weird yeah because yeah yeah jake doesn't like to pull the prince card because he doesn't think it's like a thing but yeah he will if he has to i guess right it was like he only did it because he was trying to save axe like save my son so um, so Eric is getting the shit kicked out of him, basically. I mean, he's not he's fine. getting, he's basically fine, but like they are shooting him point blank range in the face with like Drake and beams and shit. He's indestructible. Um, it's all he's, good. He's kind of indestructible. Yeah. Um, and Axe is now morphing to fly when the howlers finally unleash their deadly howls and the only one that's really effective is is axe because he's only halfway to fly so like he's bleeding out of the ears and shit but the flies themselves um since they can't really like process noise differently from vibrations anyways it just kind of reads as like danger all around them but it doesn't like blow out their brains or anything like that which is good um yeah which is great um then the howlers start cutting around Eric's handholds in the door so they can just, like, pull the rest of, like, the twisted metal shrapnel shit off of there and get into the room. Uh, and once they do that and step around Eric, who, of course, can't really, like, do anything but try to block them with his own body, um, they see Axe, like, kind of halfway to fly on the floor. Eric tries to step between them, but he can't, like, push back against the howlers because, again, it's against his programming for whatever fucking reason. <laughs> so Marco saves the day 
by starting to mock them and mock Kryak by calling him like a misshapen pimple. (laughs) (laughs) Sick burn. It was like, it was a sick burn, but it was very 90s. This is Um, like, this is becoming kind of a Marco move is to distract someone by by way of insult. Because he did it with like um, David's dad too. Oh yeah, he yeah. He's like your son skipped school today. <laughs> and he like kind of did it with the Helmicrons too, but they didn't really understand it, so he like switched tactics. Yeah. <laughs> but um like when he called uh the one Helmicron wimp and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Is what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is a very Marco move. Mm-hmm. And he does distract them for a moment, but they quickly turn back to Axe in his misshapen fly body andalite thing. Uh, So Jake then jumps in and lands on one of their faces, and the Howler goes to try and smack him, but the Howler is so fast that Jake can barely make it out of there in time. Like, Mm -hmm. he is so close to being hit. Mm -hmm. Um, Once that distraction's over, the Howlers again turn back towards Axe, but it's too late. Axe has made it to fly. Um, Eric then changes his hologram to blend into the wall and they all start to leave the room as flies. <laughs> Once they get out of there, um, Guide kind of followed them. Like the howlers don't stop the escort at all. So Guide was just kind of able to like walk out of the room. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're all talking now in thought speak. They're like, Guide. He's like, I'm right here. <laughs> they're like, yay, I guess. Um, <laughs> Eric kind of tags along too and then Eric is able to cover him and guide with a hologram so that they kind of blend in with the crowd the Animorphs go and like land in the hologram and start to demorph and eventually they just look like a bunch of Warmaker Guild guys walking together that's the hologram Eric is projecting and they're like growling at people so that they don't bump into them and see that it's just like a, a hologram they can walk in and out of so yeah Eric's doing a whole bunch of tricky shit. <laughs> um, after a while, Jake sends Tobias up to make sure they're not being followed. Once Jake, er, once Tobias clears them, Eric drops the hologram, and they're all just walking along again as themselves. Um, Axe is keeping an eye out, and then Jake kind of gets into his own head where, like, they're walking somewhere, but Jake's, like, just thinking through everything, trying to figure out, like, what they're going to do, how they're going to do this, like, why is this happening, blah, blah, blah. Um, and before he's done, they come up to where they're staying next. It's a new guild. <laughs> it's the Servants Guild. <laughs> so it's this giant fucking like palace place that Guide has already paid for them to stay in. And then Guide makes a comment like, all right, I'm going to leave. See you guys later. I've already paid for everything. I'll be back. And they're like, wait, no, fuck. Where are you going, Guide? And he's like, well... You know, the escort are not one species, we're symbiotes. And so what we have is two parts. We have, like, you know, the isk body and the yort, which is the smaller part. And every three days, the yort has to come out and feed. And that's when Axe, like, dun, freaks dun, dun. out, <laughs> puts his tail blade to Guy's throat. And he's like, the whole planet is yerks. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. So we find out why we hate the fucking escort so much. Oh, it's no. because they're all yerks. They're all yerks. They're all yerks. Every single one of them is a yerk. (gasps) Yeah. I know, right? (laughs) So uh, the Animorphs are in this servant's guild now. They did not let Guide leave. They they forced the servants 
to find them a room where they could force all the other servant guilds out of and just interrogate Guide alone. And they're basically like, explain everything to us because otherwise we're just going to hand over this entire planet to the Howlers and we do not give a shit because we are not helping the Yerks. This is bullshit. Um, so Guide tells them a little bit about their history. And it turns out that the Iskort are true symbiotes. The Isk were genetically engineered for the Yort, and because they uh, because they built these bodies for themselves, they didn't think it was fair to just have like the one side. So they genetically modified um, the the Yorts as well, so that they can't live without the Isk. So literally, one can't live without the other for very long. And that's when it kind of clicks for the kids that, hey, this is a way forward. This is what the Yerks need to do. There, there's like another way to handle this and it's not taking over species. Mm-hmm. It's that the Yerks can bioengineer these bodies for them and become a true symbiote. Called it. And this is, you're right? And this is why the Elemis needs to save them so that the Yerks can realize their next step in evolution. Yep. Um, about the time they're uh, having all these realizations and everything's going well for them, the room that they're in starts filling up with a weird gas mixture that smells like gasoline and some other shit. And so they're like, oh no, the Howlers are pumping in bug spray. So now they, they realize they can't go to Bug Morph and they're freaking out like, are there windows in here? How do we get out? What's our plan? How the fuck did they um, get bug spray? Yeah, I know, right? Because <laughs> they don't even have bugs on this planet. <laughs> I don't know. Probably came in in some trade route that they like... They paid for it in exchange for, like, taking them on a tour of something. I just don't know. <laughs> but anyways, they, they do. They have bug spray. And they start, like, filling up the room with it. Um, so they find out there are windows on this place. Uh, and then they're like, okay, Eric, can you go through the windows first and push the howlers away? And Eric is like, I absolutely cannot do that. They might get hurt. <laughs> and they're like, well, we might die, too. So thanks, Eric. And then they're like, all right, all right. And Jake's like, okay, could you make a hologram of birds flying out the window over there? And then we'll fly out a window on the opposite side. And Eric is like, he like literally computes in front of all of them. He is like, oh, yes, that would fool them and not harm anyone and gives the pot- the greatest potential of both parties surviving. I can do that, Jake. Oh, boy. <laughs> Yay, thanks, Eric, I guess. Um... So that's their plan. They have Eric make a hologram of birds flying out one side of the building. And a couple seconds later, the Animorphs tear out of the other side of the building. Um, but pretty quickly, the Howlers are on them. They did not They did not pull this off very well. Uh, they go tearing away as birds of prey, dodging and blah, blah, blah. And then Rachel gets hit. And then Cassie gets hit and gets her entire wing burnt off. And she kind of goes, like, careening down to the ground, and Jake follows after her as a peregrine. But then Jake kind of tumbles into a war maker escort, and the Howler closes in on him. But right about the time that the Howler, like, gets right by the war maker escort, the war maker just kind of shoves Jake away and starts attacking the Howler, who just kind of, like, blocks the blows and backs <laughs> away. Like, oh, no. <laughs> um... And that's when they realize that the rules of the engagement between the Elemist and Cryak determine that the Escort cannot be harmed in this battle. And so Jake tells everyone to use the Escort as cover. As meat shields. <laughs> Basically. God. Like, it was like, get behind them, then they can't attack us. Mm. 
So he also yells at Cassie to demorph, and he's trying to go to her, but he realizes, like, hey, if I go towards Cassie, I'm leading a howler, like, right to her location. So instead, he flies away and starts getting some height. He says, possibly leaving Cassie to die. Oh, and we said he would never leave her behind, and now he has to. Now he has to, but to save her. Yeah. So it's not a betrayal in as such. Um, So Jake kept flapping higher and higher until he finally got the altitude that he needed to go into a full peregrine dive. He dove down just in time to see Marco get hit and go careening to the ground. And then he raked the howler across the head. He kind of circled back, used, kept up like as much momentum as he could and dove again, giving another howler a face full of talon. This went on until Jake had the attention of several of them. And then he started leading them on this wild chase where he was just kind of circling in and out of the platform ahead of them. They got to like the jungle type area of the platform. So he was circling in and out of the trees. They were catching up to him very fucking quickly. But Jake kind of got where he was going just in time. Because as soon as he's like coming around again, he hits the edge of the platform. And one of the howlers just goes careening off the edge of it and starts falling to his death. Whee! Yeah, um, which Jake was very happy to realize was less, terminal velocity on this planet was less than 200 miles per hour, so he could catch up to him as a peregrine. (laughs) (laughs) Yay, silver linings, (laughs) right? Although he would have been fine anyways. He could have gotten over 200, but whatever. Um, So the howler was falling. Jake dives after it. He grabs onto its legs with his talons, and then Jake starts to demorph, kind of like holding onto this thing, and he's like slipping, trying to keep a hold on it. The Howler takes an inordinate amount of time to notice that Jake's on him. And when he finally does, he reaches for the Draken Beam, which Jake kind of reaches for and grabs first and just starts tossing it away. And Jake just starts like grabbing at whatever weapons this Howler has and like tossing him to the side, <laughs> it, which just seemed comical to me, but whatever. <laughs> So the final thing that the Howler has is to use the Howl. But as soon as he starts that up, it gets cut off because Jake starts acquiring him and puts him into that state of torpor that keeps him calm and quiet. Wee. So, yeah. Good move, Jake. Nice. <laughs> um, as soon as he's done acquiring him, he starts to go back to his bird morph. And he has no idea if there's enough time left. But he's got to try to get back to Bird Morph because the ground is coming up at him very quickly at this point. Um, the last few hundred feet, Jake was almost there. So he starts spreading his wings and kind of right as he gets to treetop level, he catches some air and it is a like muscle tearing catch. But he did catch himself and was able to keep flying. And right before the howler hit the ground, he says, say hi to Cryak for me. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Super intense. So at this point, everybody thinks Jake is dead. And Jake is flying back up to go find everybody. And he also thinks that every one of them is dead. Because remember when he left, uh, Cassie, Rachel, and Marco were all hit and down. So Jake doesn't know who's still alive. They all think Jake's dead. And he goes circling back up pretty slowly because you can't it's not something you can really do fast to try and figure out what level he was on so he can meet up with them 
um, while he's doing this, he starts thinking through like everything that had just happened and how he was mad at Eric because he wanted so badly for Eric to be able to fight them since he was the only one that had the power to win against them. Uh, and then he started thinking about like, if only the Pemelites had taken away that programming, they would have been able to fight. The Pemelites would still be alive. But then he starts thinking like, okay, but then how would the Pemelites control the Chi once they did that? And he starts relating that back to Cryak. And he's like, well, then how does Cryak control the Howlers? And so he's kind of reeling through all of that in his head and like contemplating what that means when Tobias spots him and calls to him. And Tobias is his giddy self, <laughs> which is very unusual. <laughs> but he's like, Jake, man, you're alive. This is great. And he's like all fucking excited and everything is good. Um, and then he's going to lead them back to the others, which is great. And Jake starts asking, like, how are Marco and Cassie and Rachel? And they're all alive. So Jake now knows they're all good. It's awesome. Yay. Guide has found a new base for them, which is also awesome. So Tobias leads the way along. And after scouting it out for a minute, they land. Jake demorphs. They walk back inside to this abandoned factory building where their new base is. And Jake is just brimming with emotions because he's so happy that everybody's alive. So he sees his whole team alive and together. Axe is still moping. Rachel's looking angry. Marco is like goofing off. But Cassie, as soon as she sees him, runs over yelling his name and then jumps into his arm and kisses him. Yay! <laughs> it happened! Finally! <laughs> and Rachel grumbles, it's about time. <laughs> so cute! Yay! So cute! Oh my god. I was so happy. It's adorable. <sighs> I thought you might like that part. I loved it. They're adorable. I love them together. <laughs> Me too. Um, so their kiss lasts a few seconds. As soon as they pull away from each other, Marco then spreads his arms out to Jake and says, can I have one too? <laughs> and Jake's Marco. like, I know. Thanks, Marco. And Jake's like, in the middle of everything that is happening, I still feel like a giant dork. <laughs> Which is awesome. I love that Jake's still like, I feel like a tool because of you, Marco. Thanks. <laughs> uh, pretty quickly, though, they rein it in. There's another moment where Marco then asks Rachel for a kiss, and she basically says, try it, see what happens to you. And so he doesn't try it. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's so good. It's such a good moment. It's such a good moment. Um... But yeah, so pretty quickly they get down to business and Jake lets them know that he has acquired a howler morph and he has some semblance of a plan that he's going to try and explain to them. Um, he recaps that they have the institutional knowledge passed down through every howler generation and blah, 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 and that he just doesn't believe that there's any way that anything could win 100% of the time. And he says something like, Michael Jordan didn't win 100% of the time. Muhammad Ali didn't win 100% of the time. So there's no way the howlers can. <laughs> Which like... I didn't think it was a very good example at all. <laughs> but hey, whatever. Stick with what you He's know, still I probably guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he starts asking some more questions to guide about the process of copying memories. And then he tells everybody that he needs a rabbit to draw out the hounds, meaning he needs somebody to go and draw out the howlers. <laughs> and Rachel is about to volunteer, but Jake just shakes his head. Not you. And that's when. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, he's like, not you. And that's when Axe speaks up and Axe says, I'll go. And Jake goes, okay. And then Rachel and Jake just have this like moment where like she looks back at Jake and like gives this little nod like, I get it. Oh, (laughs) I loved this. It was so good. Oh my God. This is just like. Freaking Jake. He knows everybody so well. He does. And like, I really liked how how perceptive a lot of the team was in this book mm-hmm. like the, just Tobias and Rachel and Marco and and Cassie too like they all have their moments of like being super enlightened and like Axe has his moments of being brilliant but a lot of this is overshadowed by the fact that he ran away and I love that kind of character struggle for him uh-huh. because we haven't seen that a lot lately like we haven't seen the andalite like yeah. we always have to be strong kind of a thing lately yeah the, the last time i really remember it was in his first book where he's all like i have to kill visitor three mm-hmm. to avenge my brother and i took the blame for my brother for giving the morphing powers to the kids and yeah i haven't seen this axe in a really long time yeah so it was nice to, like, see it again mm-hmm. and to see, like, because I think it it was almost like Axe kind of got complacent for a little bit because he was with humans all the time. And, and like, there's so many call-outs in this book where he's picking up human mannerisms and he's yeah. becoming more like the kids than he is Andalite. And I think this really shook him where he was like, oh, no, have I gone too far into this other direction? Like, <laughs> so... And we're not even in his head, and we can, like, see all this happening. I just, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Anyways. Uh, da, 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 da. Um, so, they're coming in with a plan, but the guide is getting impatient because he's like, I don't think you're paying me enough at this point. And so they go through this other debate where he's like, I would just like one of the organs you're not using. Or, like, a limb. Like, what's one limb? You can probably part with a limb, right? Jesus. Um, and after refusing to sell him many body parts, they also offer up more hair, Marco's hair this time, but he's like, we already have hair. We're done with the hair. Um, Eric comes to the rescue and Eric's like, oh, I'll give you a schematic that'll help you make an emitter. And Guy just like, I I don't even know. He just loses his fucking tiny mind in this moment. I wonder what Axe thought of this. Like, an emitter doesn't feel like a very difficult thing to do, right? Yeah, I don't know. This is this is just a major, like, Ciro's kindness violation, even though it doesn't apply to them because they're yeah. not Andalites, but, like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, what he, are well, you he doing? Well, he probably... That's probably exactly it, though. He's not giving away Andalite technology, which, yeah. you know, so But it's also, like, giving it's... technology to another race that you have, like... I don't know what is going to happen as a consequence of this. Yeah. it's But it's not weaponry either, though, right? Like, I don't Anything know. Anything can be There's a weapon. both ways. It's true. Anything can be a weapon. They will twist it to make some sort of a weapon. But Axe doesn't say anything about it. And I imagine it's because he's like, it's a chi and it's not my place. Yeah. Because he doesn't even want to get involved in, like, voting because he's like, that's a human thing. Yeah. Yeah. So... I don't know. He probably, like, felt, like, weird. Like, when you see somebody else do something that you're like, ooh, I don't personally believe in that, but I can't say anything. Yeah. Weird. He probably felt weird. (laughs) I feel weird about it. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah. So, anyways, Guide is very pleased by this deal. 
and uh, he wholeheartedly agrees to lead them into another place and to try and keep them alive for a while longer. <laughs> so he goes to lead them to wherever it is that they're going, and he takes them to an elevator, and Marco is like, what in the fuck? You had elevators this whole time? And, like, Guide is kind of like, well, yeah, but, like, the views are so much better on the stairs. Like, what, what's, what use is a memory of an elevator? And Marco's like, we could have been taking elevators the whole time! Um, but then it just gets better because <laughs> Guide takes them to the shopper escort district where they open up <laughs> the things... And the whole point of these type of escort, the shopper escort, is to buy the things the other escort make. They have no other job than that. They're just like, well, yeah, somebody needs to buy all the shit that we make here. So we have a shopper's guild. And Rachel is like, Rachel just like is embracing these people. She is like, yes, we have made it. We've made it to my homeland. (laughs) And like... Tobias, after a moment, says something like, or no, sorry, what happens first is Jake goes, how do we announce to the Howlers we're here? And Guide's like, oh, I will just tell the Gossip District that you're here. No worries. And Tobias is like, this is nuts. Like, making whole guilds out of, like, people that gossip and tell news, making whole shopping guilds, this is crazy. And Rachel is like, do not insult my newfound people, Tobias. (laughs) (laughs) Like, she just is so into this. I love her. I I was cracking up so badly at this moment. I loved it. <laughs> uh, and then there's a very kind of bittersweet moment as Jake then pulls Axe aside away from the rest of the group. And he's like, hey, Axe, like, it, it, you know, it happens. People run away. It's not a big deal. Like, let's just get over it. And Axe just will not. He's like, no, I, I did this wrong. I ran away. And Jake starts telling him, like, hey, the Howlers were designed to attack intelligent brains and complex brains. And he's like, me as a tiger, I almost got destroyed. You're so much smarter than all of us. It's no wonder that, like, that happened to you. And it did exactly what it was designed to do. And Axe doesn't really respond. Compliment, compliment, Um, compliment. (laughs) Right. And Axe doesn't, like, really respond well to this. Like, he's listening to Jake, but he's kind of like, but still, I ran away. Like, and that's kind of, like, the bottom line. Right. And then, so what Jake does, instead of, like, trying to keep going along this line, he gives him an order. He goes, as your prince, I order you not to die, no matter how heroic you think that the death might be. Oh. Jake, you're looking (laughs) out for my boy. He is. It's such, like, a... I I don't want to call it sweet, but it is kind of a sweet moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's not the right word for it, but... Honestly... I want Axe and Jake to just, like, hang out at some point. Because, like, I don't know. I In this book, I mean, Axe was, I guess, being a little, like, difficult as far as Jake is probably concerned. Because, you know, Axe kind of fell into his self-deprecation spree. And Jake's like, we don't really have yeah. time for that. And you're not really helping. And I need you to, like, snap out of it. But, like, right. I don't know. I kind of felt not animosity between them, but I just... I want I want them to be happier. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, like I I think I know what you mean. Like I think it's almost like they don't have any sort of personal relationship. Yeah. It's all professional. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the only one I feel that Axe has a personal relationship with is Tobias. Mhm. Although he like 
I mean, I think there's a few other people that he, like, has different sort of relationships with, although nothing is, like, deep as what he has with Tobias, mm-hmm. which I think is in part because, one, they live together in the forest, kind of, yeah. and also now they've found out their family, so there's, like, that. <laughs> um, but I think, like, with Cassie, like, he has moments, like, he's kind of not close to her, but they're kind of friendly. Yeah. So, because they've had those few times where, like, he pretends to be Jake and, like, comes over for dinner kind of a thing. Yeah, and she said that really nice thing to him. One of the other books that we read recently. I'm sorry, my brain's... Oh, the I think I know, yeah. you're talking about the homework thing, right? Where he was trying to correct the homework. Yeah. And she said it must be really hard for you. Yeah. 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 But, oh. Yeah. I'm very protective of him. And I want him to be happy. <laughs> Aw. <laughs> uh. But, like, even, like, not in this book, but in other books, like, there are moments where, like, you know, they'll have that little interaction where he'll say, like, yes, Prince Jake, and Jake will be like, don't call me Prince, and then they'll, like, have, like, a little quick smile with each other. Yeah. There's, like, a rapport there, but it does feel more professional than anything else. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. (sighs) Well, there's plenty of time left. We're not even halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> and we have an X book coming up, so I'm excited. And we have an X book. Com- Actually, 56. Yeah, next book will be halfway through. Exactly. Oh, wow. Oh. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Anyways, okay. I'll keep going. <laughs> so we, we are almost done, which is really impressive because I had seven pages of notes, which is more than usual. Shit. I know. There's just a lot to go over. Okay. So anyways. um, Yes. They're being led to the other place. They get to the shopper's district. They have this heart to heart. It's great. It's wonderful. Um, Word gets out that they are there and Tobias spots the howlers rushing in pretty quickly. Um, He sees them rushing towards Axe and it takes them some time to spot him in the crowd. Like they're getting pretty close before they have any indication that they see him. But once they do, he says, okay, run now. And Axe leads them on this chase. And Tobias is watching it and making this excellent commentary like, man, that boy can run. (laughs) It's very funny. Run, Forrest, Um, run. Exactly. (laughs) He's like, he's just like announcing the whole like move by move. He's commentating again. Oh, man, that boy run. <laughs> Look that boy go. <laughs> He's got some real fast legs. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty good. Um meanwhile, Jake is starting to go to his howler morph. Rachel and Marco are there in battle morph. So Rachel's grizzly, Marco is gorilla, and they're there because they need to take him out if he gets out of control and starts howling and hurting people. So um literally Rachel's there with like bear claws to his throat ready to like tear him apart and with a moment's notice. But the morph goes, okay, it's a little gross. Um, Probably the grossest part is he does see at one point his spine separate out from the rest Uh, of it. And, like, he can see his bare spine. Gross. (laughs) Yeah, but kind of (laughs) cool. And then it, like, you know, it turns into, like, what the howlers have for their rotating midsection area. And it's all cool. Um, and once he gets into the, the mindset, he immediately tells Rachel, like, hey, it's fine. Like, there's nothing going on here. There's no rage. There's no anger. There's just complete indifference. And he says the hunting, that's what they do for fun. It's a game. And as he, like, pulls up the memories and starts to understand what the howlers are, he is horrified because the howlers are just 
children. Oh. Like, they're this child species that have been told hunting is a fun game. Oh. They never make it past three years old. They're born in a factory. There is no mature morph of of howlers. They are just kids. Um, so he's watching the memories now from his own perspective instead of through Eric, and he watches them do that the uh, Gimbal's children massacre again. And he's seeing it from the Howler's perspective, so now he can see that that was just a game to them. Like, they don't understand that these are other species with their own thoughts and feelings and blah, blah, blah. Jesus. Um, yeah, it's horrifying. And then Jake starts asking Eric, who we know as this peaceful species that just is, like, you know, calm and collected at all times. He starts saying to Eric, did you know? Did you know these are children? Did you know that that this is just a game for them and they don't understand what they're doing? And all Eric says very coldly is that they killed his creators and he will not see things from the Howler perspective. Oh, boy. Yeah. And, like, there's this scene where Jake and Marco and Eric are all talking over each other. And Jake is just, like, you don't you don't understand. These are children. They're children. They don't know. And Marco's like, no, fuck. Like, they're killers. We can't do that. And Eric is like, they killed my creator. Like, they're all talking over each other. And nobody is hearing Jake that, like, they do not understand what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So it's horrifying. This is so harsh. It was so harsh. Um, it's, It's really brutal. Like, it's just a really brutal moment. And then it's, like, cut because Axe is catching up to where they are. And they fire on Axe, and they hit him. So now Axe is going down and is, like, bloody and messed up. The rest of the team he orders to get in a position, and as the Howlers kind of burst through into the area that they're in, there's a brief fight that happens between them where the Howlers kind of take out Cassie, like, really quickly, one swipe, take her out. Rachel is taking these huge hits. Marco is taking these huge hits. And then Marco gets stabbed in the stomach, and Jake orders the Howlers to stop. And they're kind of confused. They looked at Jake in in his morph and they're like, okay, he's dead. That howler's dead. So they don't really get it, but it's enough to stop them for a moment. And then Jake says, follow him because they're going to take him to the leader. And it works briefly. The howlers start to follow him. And then Jake turns around and takes down the nearest howler with this like one, two, three punch kind of a thing. And even then he barely takes down the howler as a howler himself. Oof. Yeah. And then Jake says to Marco, hand me the memory transmitter. But Marco is still frozen looking at this knife sticking out of his stomach. And it's Axe that eventually stumbles up like all bloody and messed up with the transmitter and hands it off to Jake. Jake attaches it to the Howler's head and they start flooding the whole memory memory stream of all the Howlers with every single memory from each Animorph and Eric and even some from Guide. And it's their childhood, their parents, their, like showing them everything they can about their humanity and about how they're people and individuals with thoughts and feelings and, and everything. And it just starts flowing into this whole collective memory. And then everything kind of stops again. The Howler shuts down and then he blinks out of existence. And then the Animorphs blink out of Escort. Jake is in a new place with Cryax's blood red eye looking down on him, but this time he is not alone. He feels a hand on his hand, and then Cryax mocks him. 
Um, and Kryak is mocking him for being scared and for just bowing to, like, just being in the fetal position, basically. <laughs> and Jake says, yeah, I'm scared, but we won. And that's when they hear this all-encompassing laughter around them. And pretty soon they are surrounded by this loud-ass fucking laughing. And it's the Elemist. He uh, pops into existence wearing his old man disguise, <laughs> which we earlier decided was Ian McKellen. Gandalf. <laughs> it was Gandalf. So, um, yeah, he pops up as the old man. And he introduces them, kind of. He says, ah, my six or my five humans and an andalite and a chi and like it's kind of a weird moment <laughs> um but yeah they they're having a back and forth and then jake starts going to his howler morph um jake's theory is that by blinking the other howlers out of existence cryak was trying to preserve the the memory stream so that the howlers wouldn't remember anything good or about them and they would they would basically be preserved as hunters yeah um so Jake starts going back to his his howler morph and he starts searching through all of the memories there and sure enough he finds out that you know Cryak destroying the other howlers before they could contaminate it was pretty much successful there's no memory of the animorphs there's no memories of of the chi there's no memories of, like or of um of guide there's no memories from axe like nothing everything's gone except for one small memory they're buried in everything. All of the death and the genocide is Cassie running up to Jake to kiss him. And so Jake demorphs and he says to Cryak, one thing got through to your howlers. Love. <laughs> it was love all along. It was love all along. Oh my God. In the next moment, the kids are, the, the kids, the kids are pulled into that space between time and blah, 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 That's where the elements. Yeah, well... Hey, it is what it is. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're pulled into that weird space that the Elemis creates where they can like see all the timelines and through each other's skin and blah, 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 blah. And the Elemis goes, job well done, which Marco just immediately gets upset about. He is like, that's all we get is just job well done. That's all you're going to fucking say. Like we just we just kicked ass. We just did so good. And all you're saying is job well done. And so the Elemist reasonably offers them a reward. <laughs> and Jake and Rachel both say they want to know what happened. What did what did we do? Like, did we make a difference? Did we do the right thing? And the Elemist starts to tell them the future is uncertain, but three centuries from now, the Yerks will run into the Escort and realize that there is a better way. And at first, Jake and Rachel are upset because they're like, well, that doesn't fucking help us right now. And the Elemist is like, no, no, it doesn't. But you will be responsible for the Yerks finding a better way to exist. Um, and then he also tells them that the next species that Cryak tries to attack, the Howlers are going to run up to them. And instead of massacring them, they're going to try to kiss them. So they basically neutralize Cryak's shock troops. Um, and then finally, if it helps, they made Guide a very, very rich escort. <laughs> Um, and then the Elemist laughs and fucks off to wherever he stays normally. <laughs> Marco's last word is, we're never inviting that guy over again. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> yep. Oh. Pretty much. Um, so later that night, Jake goes to sleep and Cryak is mostly gone. He dreams of Cassie instead. And he also dreams of the Howler falling to its death. Jake kind of tries to take Marco's advice about making, you know, looking for the happy things and the good <laughs> or, you know, ignoring the bad. 
And so he's like trying to steer his dreams towards Cassie. But even then, in the reflection of her eyes, he sees the howler falling. And that is the end of this book. Always look on the bright side of life. <laughs> do do. I'm not whistling. Do do. I'm not either. I don't want to break the audio. I've already broken the audio. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to break the audio either. So, what? <sighs> There's, okay, the Howlers have one memory of the smooch. As opposed to, like, it's 99.9% like murder, but like 0.1% smooch. So uh-huh. why are they going to try this smooch? Just because it's a new thing? That's like their most recent, like, memory? I feel like, yeah, that's exactly why. Okay. Because it's the the most recent mission memory. I don't know. Huh. Okay. But they try it, apparently. Okay. And now there's just a race of kissing aliens. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. This book. Uh, tell me everything you thought about it. Because, like, I feel like there were so many good points in here that, that just would speak to you. This was this book convinced me I was psychic, like because I was basically kind of like surmising and guessing what was going to happen just based on the information mm-hmm. given, which I told you like several podcasts ago that I try not to do. But yeah, I was like, what if they use the Howlers to turn against Krayak? And what if they, you know, like destroy them from the inside? And and mm-hmm. the only thing I really didn't call was Jake and Cassie finally smooching. <laughs> that was the one thing <laughs> <laughs> but it was so good and and just when just when i think i can't get any more traumatized i am more traumatized <laughs> the howlers were children all along yeah. and like it's so sinister too like they always say like start them young right right like you know, it's it's so much more sinister to be like, oh, this is a good thing. This is a game. Like, killing is fun and awesome. As opposed to being like, well, you, you're programmed to be angry about it. And you're, you know, like, right. instead of having a vendetta, yeah. it's like, no, this is okay. Like, go, go crazy. Go. Right. And then never letting them get to adulthood. So it's never like, yeah. oh, they might like, you know, one of them might have a realization, blah, blah. It's like as soon as they're out of their childhood stage, they just blink them out of existence. The perfect crime. Yeah, it's fucked it's up. It's very fucked up. <laughs> so and I was like so mad at Eric when he was like, they killed my creators. Like it was just black and white. Like, I will not listen to anything you say about them because they killed the Pamelites. Yeah. Which was, it feels like that has to be out of his programming too, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't I was, like that. I was really questioning Eric's programming in this entire book. Because he keeps being like, well, I can't, you know, directly interfere because that's not my programming. Right. It's like, yeah, but obviously you have like free will of thought. And like clearly he wants to do more because he's like, I wonder if we can get the Elemis to like remove this from my programming. Yeah. So... With his, like, with the free thought, he wants that, but, like, it's just... Yeah. And I think it would have been a more interesting character development for Eric if he wasn't able to undo all of his, um, like, when he had changed his programming with the Pamelite Crystal, mm-hmm. I would have liked to see him have to relearn how to act like how he thought his creators would have wanted, but he wasn't able to restore the restrictions. And he just had to, like 
live with his, these moral choices that he had to make instead of always defaulting back to like, oh, it's my programming. I can't. Yeah. So I'm kind of bummed about that. Yeah. Huh. But he ended up being more useful than I thought he was going to be. Because I had the same reaction mm-hmm. as the kids in the beginning. I'm like, oh, why is Eric coming along? He can't do anything. Right. <laughs> but he was basically like the informant. And and the barricade a few times. Yeah. <laughs> he he helped more than I think they thought he would. I agree with Jake. It would have been helpful at times to have another fighter along that was actually powerful enough to take them. Yeah. But it also would have been too easy, I guess. And I also don't know who they would have chosen. Like, what else do they have there? Because, like, I guess they could have taken one of the hork but, like, they, that would, they would have just been slaughtered. Like, the hork just would have died. Yeah. No V3 in this book. No Visor 3, but we had Cryak, our new favorite enemy. Sauron. Number one. Public en- Sauron, public enemy number one. <gasps> yeah, I, how do you like Cryak? I don't know. <laughs> like, I mean, like, sorry. I mean, like, as an enemy, like, oh. in this book, in the series of enemies that we've had, how does Cryak rate with you? Um, honestly, so far, he's falling a little flat for me just because his story and his motivation seems so, like, generic villain. Like, he yeah. just wants to destroy everything. Because he's darkness. I don't know. Like, <laughs> at least with Visor 3, it's like self-motivation. Like, oh, I want to be the most powerful because I have this Andalite body and like, I'm going to rise to the top. And it's all like, mm-hmm. you know, selfish motivations to try to gain power. But like with Crack, it's just like, yeah, fuck everything. I just want to destroy it. <laughs> fuck everything. Fuck everyone. <laughs> I do think it's interesting that he made the Howlers and the way he made the Howlers. Like, that's really mm-hmm. cool. But... As far as him himself, I'm just like, all right, Sauron, the end. Yeah. <laughs> I do I do like the thing he has with the Elemists, though. I like that they're, you know, these two forces that are manipulating the chess pieces, kind of. Like, yeah. Like, the whole Elemist thing, it reminds me very much of, like, what Dumbledore does to people in the Harry Ooh, Potter franchise. Yeah. He's just like... It's like he sets them up to, like, go through these tests and to kind of, like, do his bidding without being directly involved. And he kind of, like, drops hints here and there, but he doesn't really, like, get his hands dirty. And I'm just like, you're kind of an asshole, aren't (laughs) you? Yeah, that was going to be my next uh, uh, question there, because I... I think over the years, people have really developed a problem with that sort of action Mm -hmm. by Dumbledore specifically, because like the broader public talks about Harry Potter over Animorphs. But (laughs) yeah, I think there's a real problem with that kind of character and especially one that you're supposed to. I I think it's more problematic with Dumbledore because he is somebody that like Harry's supposed to be close to and he's supposed to like he loved and that they had this relationship. Whereas the Elemist is more like here's a mythical being that comes in and fucks shit up every once in a while. Yeah, you know, yeah, it makes more sense that, yeah, there's no personal human connection there. Like. I agree. That's like very much what they do to mm-hmm. each other. Like it's a very similar thing. Yeah. So interesting. I like that. I never would have thought to make that connection. Probably just because of like the timelines of me reading the books. Like Animorphs predates all of those other things for me. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Well, should we do character ratings? <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about Jake? I love Jake. I love Jake too. I love Jake. He gets five because he's the best. All right. I'll give him him a five as well, 
because I, like I keep harping on, really love that they are children. How do none of you understand this? Yeah, he like got the nuance of it. Like, I kind of wish he had had a little more angst over it. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe when he was, like, beating the shit out of that other howler, he was going, like, I hate this, I fucking hate this, but I have to keep doing this. I mean, he kind of did, though. Like, the very last part of the books where he should, like... Yeah. Where it feels like we should be, like, oh, my God, he and Cassie kissed. This is amazing. The relationship is blah, blah, blah. It's tainted by the fact that he killed that howler and he gloated about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but, yeah, it would have been nice to spend, like, more time with that and flesh out that thought yeah he was very good he was a great leader um Mm -hmm. i loved his interactions Mm -hmm. with axe and yeah big time the interactions with axe were just very good Mm. with the whole team was very good yeah all right rachel five she's fucking awesome in this book (laughs) she's so good like she's so many good moments and like so many moments of her being like, I'm going to kick ass. I'm going to do this. And then that moment of like my shopper people, <laughs> I have found my home. She, she could rival Marco as the comic relief in this book. Like, oh, yes. But I also, agree. but also like, you know, Marco's jokes kind of fall a little on like sometimes the problematic or the misogynistic side and Rachel's is yeah. all like in righteous fury and you're like, yeah, go girl. <laughs> or like even self-depreciating at some point. Like the shopping one, I think, is her just embracing this. Like everybody mocks me for this, but I'm going to like, <laughs> I too can laugh at myself for this and yet embrace that I still love this one very girly thing. I like, love how unapologetic she is about it. So unapologetic. Ugh, great. So good. Uh, um, all right, Tobias. Toblerone. He didn't make as much of an impression with me in this book. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? I mean, not to like just give them fives across the board, <laughs> but um, f- first of all, he was in the book. Like all of them were, which is a brand new thing. So it's like making our rating scale kind of harder yeah. slash easier to do. Yeah. Um, because we have something to go on for each of the characters, but now I, I just want to give them all fives because they all had these great moments. Uh-huh. Um, but like for him, I, I want to give him a five because I loved that. Like he was encouraging the team. He was part of the ones that initially started the whole, like, maybe we can outsmart them. Like they wouldn't have put us here if there wasn't a chance that we could win kind of thing. Like yeah. he was given that direction. And then he does have his like funny moments as well. Um, and I also really liked a lot of the unsaid interactions with Tobias where like he would stand up for somebody based on like, you know, like he was standing up for like Rachel a lot or he was standing up for Jake. But like when stuff was happening with Marco, he would just kind of stay silent. And I think that said a lot about how he interacted with the characters as well. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, fuck it. It's our podcast. I'll give everybody fives if I fucking want to. (laughs) All right. All right. Do you want to give him a different rating? I, I was going to give him a four just because he was a little bit more downplayed for me than the other characters. Like, like the stuff he did was mm-hmm. was very good, obviously, but it was yeah. also a little bit more subtle, I think. Like, there weren't a yeah. lot of moments where I was like, fuck yeah, Tobias! That's fair. Yeah. That's very fair. Um, Marco. Marco. Mm. I, I really liked that he was back in this book. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, that's that uh, ultimately Marco Marco's interactions especially is what made me think like this book was written by Applegate because yeah. I was just like this is Marco like 
Yeah. The analytical Marco's back. The spot on jokes Marco is back. The little bit of an asshole Marco is back. <laughs> so right. I I was just like really happy to see him again. Um, but but that was a terrible joke <laughs> about yeah, about I, the mud wrestling or whatever. I was just gonna say I want to knock him one for the bikini yeah. wrestling joke. Yeah. Just because, like, I, he's really taking on more of, like, of uh, making misogynistic jokes just so that one of the girls can really knock him back in his place right after he says it. And I love those interactions, but it does always make me be like, oh, come on. Yeah. Like, really, Marco? Yeah. Uh, and now I don't know if he says it just to bait them. Like, see, this is... Uh, this is what I love about how in-depth the characters are. Like, he might actually be doing that just because he's trying to bait the girls to get that rise out of the girls, and he probably doesn't believe what he's saying. Sure. But also, it could just be misogynistic, but we don't know that because we're not in his head. Yeah. But still, four, because that one joke sure. fell very flat. for Well, not flat, because it was still hilarious that Rachel was ready to kill him right after but honestly you know. there's a couple shows that i like that do this like there's always kind of the one character that's supposed to be kind of like the character that is a jerk and that gets beat up because mm-hmm. they're a jerk um like the the most recent one i can think of is my hero academia there's like the little kind of pervert character and he's always like trying to spy on the girls when they're naked or whatever and he always gets like like reprimanded by the boys or reprimanded by the girls or whatever. And it's like, okay, I like that he's being reprimanded, but also this didn't need to exist in the first place, you know? Yeah. Like on some level, like this, this character still has fans and there's still people that are like, oh, he's just being silly. And then like excusing his behavior, even though he is being reprimanded for it. Right. So I don't know. That's, that was a little mini rant that I just went on. No, I, I like that a lot. Like, I, I like the idea of that a lot. And, like, I don't... It's harder to say in this moment, too, because Marco can have such great respect for, for women. And he can, like... We've seen him have those moments of, like, he never looks down on them. But then he'll say a joke like this, and you're just like, oh, God. Yeah. Like, but then again, this was also like the 90s like this book that we're reading right now this was written like 20 years ago yeah like last month 20 years ago yeah so it's it's harder to say that too because we have to take into account that like the climate has changed right yeah but that's still not an excuse and i'm still knocking him for that fucking joke sure because we're better now and we can look back with 2020 vision and say fuck that (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, okay, I agree with that. Yeah. Um. All right. So we did Mama Mama Marco. We did. I missed Cassie. I didn't do Cassie. My bad. <sighs> How dare you? No. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um. I liked Cassie a lot in this book. Um. I thought she had a lot of like she she was bringing like her emotional like responses to the table about mm-hmm. like well. Like, it doesn't make sense that the Howlers, like, just mercilessly kill. There's, like, no biological yes. reason for it. So yes. she was just bringing a lot of really good info and insight to the table. So, and and they she kissed, was. and I'm so happy. Um, yes, and they finally kissed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, like, she was, I agree with all of those points. Um, and then I also loved the moments of, like, when we 
we look throughout the series and like, you know, Jake relying on Cassie as his emotional support. But I loved in this book that it was used as a joke when Rachel did the whole like, you know, we're looking for a bathroom thing where like she and Jake shared this knowing moment of like, oh, that's like such a Rachel thing. And it was it was that same concept, but just used in a way that was funny. And I really liked that. Yes. So, yeah, she gets a five from me. Yes, I agree. Uh, Axie boy. I mean, normally I would just give him a five because he's my favorite, favorite boy. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm waffling <laughs> oh. a little bit. Why? Well, why are you waffling? I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to explain. I loved oh. his, his, his like issues and his growth in this book. <laughs> That's all I got. I don't know. I don't know why I'm like hesitating a little bit. I think it's just because he, like, if if I'm going to guess from, like, how I feel reading the book, mm-hmm. I think it's because of, like, the way that he acted, like, really kind of, I don't want to say childish because that's not it. It was kind of yeah. like a cultural thing for him. But the way that he was really depressed and mopey uh-huh. and, like, not rising to the occasion and, like, willing to sacrifice himself... <sighs> It doesn't make for an interesting character to be good and to be on all the time. They all have to have, yeah. like, flaws and faults and struggles. Yeah. So, like, I don't... I'm not going to knock him for it, but, like, it was a very hard read for when you really like him and you really want to see him and then to see him struggle with, like, his w- perceived failure in this book. And in the last few books, he's been so on mm-hmm. that I think it was just weird to see him off. Like, and it's something I would expect to read in his book. Yeah. But not necessarily in another character's book. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't See, I, I really liked that because I, as we keep like kind of harping on, there was every character in this book. And I really liked that we got to see Axe go through this entire struggle from the perspective of Jake. And the fact that Jake was able to narrate it in a way that made us feel like he just knew him well and knew him as part of the team and could tell us what was going on from Jake's perspective. And we got that there was this huge growth and disappointment and all this stuff happening in Axe. Like, that was really cool and really well written. And I like it because of the way that it unfolded. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but it was still hard to see because you're right. We've seen him like kind of on. We've seen him like, you know, in the Helmicron book where he was like, I will die before I will let my friends get taken. And so I think even like looking at it from that perspective, it was a big shock to Axe that he ran away. Like he didn't expect that from himself and he was disappointed in himself for this one failure. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I liked that struggle. I'm, I wanted to just jump right off and give him a five because I liked that struggle and I liked that he yeah. went through that. Yeah. Um, and I also liked that Jake kind of stepped up and gave him that role at the mm-hmm. end where he got to sacrifice himself to redeem himself. And I like that Axe volunteered instead of Jake being like, hey, Axe, why don't you do it? Right. Jake knew if he could just control Rachel for a split second that he could yeah. bring everything into alignment. Sure. Uh, I also liked that in that moment that Jake knew enough to control Rachel. And there's like that rapport that they built in the David arc uh-huh. kind of still happening between them where he's like, hey, I'm trusting you with knowing this because I know you figured it out because you're smart and trust me. Mm-hmm. And she's like, she just gives him that nod back. Like, yeah, I get it. Like, thanks. Kind of a thing. <laughs> 
So I really liked that Jake was having those sorts of interactions too that we've seen in past books mm-hmm. and like bringing it back. Yeah. Aww. And then him and Cassie, they kissed. <laughs> Finally. Yay. I really liked it. <laughs> I think I know where my hesitation is. Okay. Because one of my favorite, favorite things about Axe is when he mm-hmm. makes his little one-off kind of joke things. Or mm-hmm. when he goes like, what is a globe? What is a guitar? You know? And <laughs> yeah. he didn't make any in this book. So I just like felt like something yeah. was missing. So I think that's where my hesitation is in giving him a five. But I liked all your reasoning and I will give him a five because he's my baby. <laughs> you don't have to. I will. No, okay, I liked good. your reasoning a lot. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely felt missing that as well but also because they were off world there wasn't a lot of chance for that yeah, like yeah. funny situational comedy kind of a thing yeah what about eric um eric my god he <laughs> i'm giving him a one because really? i am really fucking mad <laughs> about the howler thing like oh, when you wow. are programmed for peace and you want to go ahead and when somebody's like staring at you and saying like they don't know what they're doing. They're children. Like, they don't understand. Mm-hmm. There's a We have to figure out a way around this. And you say, no holds barred. I hate them because they killed my creators. Like, this one, like I can get where he's coming from. I can appreciate that. But the fact that you can't, like, as an enlightened species, kind of see the other side of it, mm-hmm. I hate that. And I don't find it realistic at all for what he is. So I Yeah. It almost feels just out of character for what he's supposed to be. It's a very, like, human reaction. But he's not human. But he's lived with humans for millennia. Yeah, and, like, they... Throughout the the book, they mention all these moments, like, oh, he went pale. Like, has he just lived with humans for so long, these human reactions now? Like, how did they program this? Right. So... But they also didn't, like, draw attention to the fact that he said this very, like, human... So it just came off as very cold for what he was. But we never get one of those like android quandary things like we see in Star Trek with like how human can an android become? And at what point do they cross that line into like this is a a being that is, you know, it's not just an android. It's like an actual thing Mm -hmm. that has, you know, autonomy and that sort of stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. But I'm I'm very like I thought it was out of character and I hated that reaction. So I'm just gonna <laughs> knock him right down to a one because I'm so pissed at that. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> uh, what about you? <laughs> I, was, I was probably just gonna give him a three because he was pretty useful. And that's that's fair. He was useful. <laughs> <laughs> he stopped Axe from being murdered. So you know, Ugh, I could maybe give him a two. <laughs> you don't have feeling to. generous. <laughs> We did it. Any last thoughts? Uh, I don't think so. Well, um, audience, if you want to write us about that thing that we forgot and then asked you to look up that I've already forgotten (laughs) and you (laughs) want to write it to us in an email, (laughs) that question... Uh, wish wish real bad I could recap that question for you, but uh, I've already forgot it. I forgot it too. um, Shit. I'm so old. (laughs) Anyway... So anyways, whatever that question was, uh, that, that'd be uh, anonymousanimorse at gmail.com, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, or like, oh. hey, if you want to use Facebook Messenger, <laughs> we're we're uh, Morse Anonymous on Facebook, or you can join our super secret, super awesome group, the Andalite Bandalites, at facebook.com slash group slash Morse Anonymous. If you like Instagram better and want to send me that answer on Instagram, <laughs> we're at Animorphs Anonymous. Or like if you really like tweeting, send us the answer <laughs> at Animorphs Anon on Twitter. <laughs> I seriously can't remember what it was. I have no idea what that fucking question was. Why are what happened to I us? Don't know. <laughs> we made such a big deal out of remembering it and it's just gone. Oh my god. well if there's other episodes they want to listen to for questions that we never answer where could they find those they can find us wherever podcasts are sold online for free um including but not limited to itunes google play pocket cast stitcher spotify podcast republic and more Uh, including but not limited to (laughs) some exclusions apply Uh, <laughs> Taxes and fees. <laughs> um, and if they wanted to find your comic, where could they find that? I have a web comic. It's called Beside You. You can find that at bsidyoucomic.com. Please read it. I love it. It's my baby. Fees may be higher in Alaska and Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> oh, geez. Let's just get out of here before we ask any more questions that we can't fucking remember. Okay. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Thanks, I guess. See you next time. See, see you next time for Rachel's book. Yay!